All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's going on? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Special's coming out on the 11th. Pretty exciting. I should be on The Tonight Show Friday, and then I'm doing some other event at the 92nd Street Y on uh, Friday night, but it's at MoMA. Here we go. Mark Marin in conversation with MTV News' Josh Horowitz. Is MTV still on? So that's uh, that's going to be on Friday night, this Friday night. That's the 10th. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour for tickets if you're in New York and you want those. I'll be on uh, The Best Show with Sharpwing on Tuesday. Making the rounds. Rumor has it I'll be talking to Terry Gross. I guess it's time. It's time to have that. What is it? My third chat over there. I think there's some meat on this one to discuss the special and how I handle certain s- topics. You know, it's good. It's good. Did I mention that Wayne Brady is here today? Wayne Brady, you know him from Whose Line Is It Anyway? He hosted his own talk show. He's the current host of Let's Make a Deal. He's been on Broadway. He's a recording artist. He's an actor who was most recently on American Gigolo. Incredibly talented guy. And he, he tends to be the brunt of jokes sometimes. And we talk about that because it's caused him a lot of grief, a lot of pain, a lot of sadness. It hurts, man. It's hurt. It hurts when your peers talk shit about you. I know this as a guy who's been talking shit, who's been, who's been talked about. And I know this as a guy who has talked some shit. I've been on both sides of that one, bullied and bully. Who hasn't? So I'm at Whole Foods. I'm walking out to my car. And I hit my key fob, which is a word you don't usually use, but you know it's called that. I hit the button on my fob. Yeah. And my car goes, beep, whatever it does. I don't even know. I know where it is. I hear the noise. I see the car about 30 feet out. And a woman's, you know, coming around the corner and she sees that I'm hitting my fob and my car is in her sight. And she's going to stop there and wait for me to pull out so she can take the space. And I'm walking with my bag and a guy pulls up behind her and just goes, hey, come on, come on, what the fuck, come on, honks his horn. This guy's window open. And I stop and I say, dude, she's just waiting for my space. He's going, and then this guy says, fuck you. And I went, I, I'm just telling you. And he goes, fuck you. And I don't know why, but for some reason I said, boy." What? Add a boy, diplomatic, not too offensive, could be button pushing, but not just cowering away. Add a boy, walk to my car with that feeling on my back that there's a guy that wants to punch for no reason, not far behind me. And then he backs off, he backs his car up angrily. And uh, as he's driving off, he goes, pussy. And look, I mean, come on, people. I'm a, I'm a 59 year old man, and uh, it totally landed. It hit me right in the guts, right in my heart. You know, depending on who you are in in high school, uh, 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 a well focused pussy with the right inflection goes right in and just throws you into a quandary about your masculinity, pussy. Then I'm just, I'm there holding my bag, getting in my car, spiraling a little bit like, 
Oh, man, am I a pussy? I'm not a pussy. This doesn't even matter. What is a pussy? It's not even correct. I'm not a pussy. I'm all right. Spiraling a little bit. And then, you know, negotiating with myself. It's like, come on, dude, you're old. I mean, you really going to get worked up? You know, landed right in my goddamn heart bag. Pussy! But then I thought, like, look, man, you know, I'm a button pusher. I'm a smart ass. I do comedy. I, you know, I'm not afraid to start shit. I've been lucky. But, you know, you got to you gotta weigh that shit out, man. Is it better for me just to get in my car and be like, am I a pussy? Would you stop it? You're a grown-ass man. You know, you, you've, you've been a pussy. You've been not a pussy. You, there's a lot. You know what I mean? Having that happen in my head. Is that better than me just rolling the dice? And after he said, fuck you, I said, no, fuck you. And then he jumps out of his car and I'm like, no, 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 please, please, please. I'm going to get my phone. I'm taking a picture of you. I'm taking a picture of you. Do I want to be that guy? The guy that's like holding his face as a car peels away. And strangers scramble around me and go, are you okay? Are you okay? Should we call the cops? I'm going to call the cops. Should we call a hospital? Are you okay? Did anyone get his license plate? No, 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 man. I, I had him. I had him. He just didn't give me a shot. He just didn't give me a shot. I had him. You drive away with a swollen eye. Just under my breath saying, you fucking pussy. Why don't you learn to fight, you pussy? I started wondering about that guy. You know, then I then I tried to take after the parking lot incident. I tried to take the high road in my mind, and I absorbed the 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 pussy thrown at me, and and just thought like, well, you know, that guy seems like he's got to go, got something something going on, something something's not right with that fella. I don't know what he's angry about, but it probably wasn't me. I hope that guy's okay. I hope he doesn't hurt some, himself or somebody else. I hope that guy's okay. If we had had a minute, maybe we could have talked it out, maybe had lunch, maybe discussed masculinity in a more appropriate way. Who knows? I hope that guy's all right. So Wayne Brady is here. And... um it was kind of an intense talk in, in in some ways, and I was happy to do it. He's a very, you know, he's like, everyone knows Wayne Brady. He's been around forever. He's always uh, lit up and, and, and does good work, and he's funny and quick, engaged. But he's taking a couple of hits, man. He hosts uh, Let's Make a Deal, which airs weekdays on CBS Affiliates. You can also watch it. On Paramount Plus, Whose Line Is It Anyway returns for its 20th and final season on March 31st. He's been doing that forever. And this is me talking to Wayne Brady. I went to Topanga the other day. Oh, that's beautiful up it's there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But then I went to a, a coffee shop in Topang, and you realize, like, oh, this is who lives here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's, it's a, but it's a thing. It's a yeah. very specific person that if you live in Topanga, 
just know what you're getting and well, sure, know who, you, who you're around. Yeah, you got to buy a hat, you know, like a, a like a large kind of hipster hat. Uh, you got to wear cardigans. Sure. You got to, uh, you know, you have to appear to be uh, doing the big thinking and the art. And, and you love the environment. Sure. I mean, it's exactly right for me. But do you want to be one of those people? <laughs> do you want to be recognized as someone that you yourself would make fun of? Yeah. That, that's the constant battle. I know. I, I you know, it's, uh, I, I know I got this special coming out and like, there's definitely, there's, there's a few versions of me as a funny person and I don't always land, you know, like I, and I, and I separated them. I'm like, this is me being angry about the world. Right. This is me being the regular sad guy. <laughs> and, then, and this is me being a little lighthearted, but they're they're very distinct voices. Well, they all live in the same place, right? And they borrow from from each other, right? But I mean, like as a guy who like improvises, like you and I noticed this also about uh, you ever watch Bamford? You ever watch Maria? Oh, Maria? I love her. I've been a fan of hers since she first, like yeah. back in the day. She's still like so strong, dude. Mm -hmm. I just worked with her in. Uh, in Vancouver, we were in the same venue and we were kind of headlining the same venue and we were flipping, you know, shows each night. And she's still like great and better than ever with that stuff. But the point is, is like when you are able to kind of move through a lot of different voices, you can kind of give all your emotions uh, different characters. Absolutely. And luckily, we're in the business that we're in that yeah. you can do that because I, I don't know how a, you know, a civilian or a regular person deals with those pieces of themselves yeah we we at least have an outlet that i know that if i'm pissed off and i just want to be funny i can do a set at night someplace and and do a thing or i can write something right and then i can be jovial and happy and give people cars on let's make a deal and <laughs> and do that thing or i can do so like so i can address all that yeah yeah, you can address the full spectrum of uh, all, all the insanity. Because if not, I don't know where I would be right now. I right? honestly don't know. Well, I, I mean, well, I mean, what you do, I think by nature, comedically, I, obviously you do a lot of stuff. You, you've really figured out a way. You know, it's weird that that somebody uh, uh, takes responsibility for their talent as well as you have. That's a beautiful. Wow. Well, well, that's a that's a fairly new thing. That that I thought I thought about that to to a degree that because I because I teach teach sometimes and I give these workshops and I was on what on on acting and then improvisational oh, okay. acting or musical theater uh -huh. depending on the venue yeah. or, or using improv in the business place like there's a lot of stuff sure so and and I get get the question of well how did you know that you wanted to either how did you know you wanted to be on whose line or how did you know you wanted to be on Broadway how did you know you wanted I said I didn't yeah. I was lucky enough that I found that I had something in me yeah. when I was in high school and I was like, oh, I want to use this and what do I do? Yeah. I just want to do everything. Yeah. So I just went out and did it. Whatever was presented in front of me, I did it. Well, and, but the, you did show you not to destroy yourself because like a lot of talented yes. people are like, I'm talented. I'm going to. I'm going to use it to destroy myself. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I just wanted to, like I said, look, God, I'll make a deal with you. Yeah. Just let me work. Yeah. Like I was really specific. And now in hindsight, I should have gone over that contract and said, oh, thank you. But but let me have some sort of discernment. But I said, just let me work. And I did from the time that I was a kid. And it wasn't until later in life that I went, you know, maybe some sort of 
straight ahead plan would, uh-huh. would have been good. Like I've gotten a chance to do so many things under the sun, but I look at my daughter who is an actress and, and she has goals. She, she's turning 20 and she's like, this is what I want to do. She's like, I'm, I, I'm a writer. She, she's a great writer. She's like, I want to write yeah. and be on SNL. Like that's one goal. Yeah. And I want to be on Broadway. And yeah. these are the shows that I want to do. And, and I want to develop this material. And I'm doing this this way. And this is my path. This is your daughter. And I went, oh, you're so fucking cool. Yeah. How, how old is she? That. She's turning 20 next week. You didn't know that, but but like it, it, but also I think the combination of I, I mean I don't know exactly where you where you come from. Where do you come from? Uh, from Orlando, Florida. Uh, not a comedic hotbed. Yeah, I, that you grew up there. I grew up there, and, they, and I make them. They're mad. They get mad at me because I I I. I, I talk shit about Orlando without really knowing about it. Was it is it an okay place? Well, what do you say about Orlando and I'll say yay or nay? Well, I just, like, I talked out my ass in the sense that, like, I was only there for a few days and I was working at, you know, at the Hard Rock or whatever, so I didn't get a That's sense. That's all you needed. <laughs> See, I, well, you said it, not me. And I'm not being a dick about it because I grew up in Orlando, so I feel that I've earned the right to say this. Yeah, well, you're going to have some uh, some bitter morning DJs after you. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> looking for juice. I loved Orlando. Yeah. It, it, for for me personally, for for my journey, yeah. it was an amazing place to get started because I started off as a singer dancer. Comedy was light years away from my mind. Where are you people from? My people people are from St. Thomas and St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands on my dad's side. Oh, yeah? And they're from Columbus, Georgia on my mom's side. Okay. Good mix. Yeah. Yeah. So I was raised, uh, my grandmother raised me, so I was given a traditional island upbringing. Really? It's very strict, and my dad was in the military, so very strict upbringing. Yeah, relationship Um, with everybody? uh, My father's passed away, and uh, my grandmother passed away, but until she passed away last year, that was my girl. Oh, yeah? Your mom? my mom is in my life now. She didn't raise me, but you know, we don't have a she she's an amazing woman. So we have a relationship now. And that just kind of happened? Yeah, it just kind of happened the past few few years. Really? And I'm so blessed, man. I love that lady and she's so awesome. Uh How, why did we, it we take so long? It. Because we because I wasn't raised by her. Um, you know, families have a Yeah. Each family has a history and sometimes yeah. you you have to become an adult to wade through the shit to find out what it was because like a Rashomon, yeah. everybody's got their own right. version of sure. the truth. Yeah. So the version that I was presented in a nutshell was that my father, when he left for Nam, wanted me to be raised in a responsible household yeah. because my mother's folks from the from uh, from Georgia, yeah. you know, crime in the family didn't want me to be raised in that environment. Uh-huh. Uh so my grandmother was going to be my steward and protect me and raise me the whole nine. And your mom signed off on that? And she signed off on it. But you're talking about a 17-year-old girl. Right. Who now that I look at it, and yeah. I'm not talking shit about my yeah. father or my grandmother because sure. they're not here to defend themselves, yeah. I feel she was probably bullied uh-huh. and scared. Yeah. And so when someone is, and my dad was G.I. Joe, uh-huh. my dad was <laughs> was was Roadblock uh-huh. from, from G.I. Joe. Yeah. So when that dude, it, who is, and very smart, yeah. so of course is like, look, this is what's best for you and best for me, and this is what it is, and my family knows better. Yeah. When you're told that, and she goes, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Well, it's only for a little while. And then I'm raised by, by my grandmother, and a little while became my whole life. And she didn't come around? She came around, but I, now I realize she was pushed back. Oh, yeah. And then the narrative that I had was this lady didn't want you. So when she did come around later, uh, I was like, lady... I don't need you. Oh, yeah. And definitely don't come around now that I'm on TV. 
Don't right. do that shit. Don't do. So I had a narrative forced upon me. And as you get older, also with or without narrative and, and with your own experience, you you naturally you, you let things go. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you got, you know, what are you holding on to, right? And why are you holding on to it? That's a good question. And it wasn't until later that I realized the things that I needed. It was when I became a father. Uh huh. When I became a dad. 20 years ago. Uh, yes. Beautiful 20 years ago. Yeah. It hit me like a ton of bricks that there were things in my life that I needed. And I needed, and I could no longer have, but I yeah. needed a relationship with my dad, mm. which I didn't have. I needed a relationship with my mother. Did you get the one with your dad? Kind of, you know, after school specialist uh -huh. in 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 a way um after I made the decision that I was going to act. Yeah. Um I don't know if you know very many people from from the Virgin Islands or Jamaican or any island folk. The work ethic yeah. is insane. Yeah. And I think just like a lot of uh Asian families or any culture that has a very immigrant men yeah, mentality sure. of we came here for your betterment so yeah. you need to do dot 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 do better than us you need to do bed better than us because look what we've done for yeah. you so the expectation was wayne was going to be insert lawyer doctor architect w whatever the thing was sure and my dad had degrees out the ass he, he did he was in um an engineer. Mm. So he was in the Army Corps of Engineers. He was basically a battle engineer. Mm. You know, the guys that build the bridges and, and defend them as thing, right. things were happening. Wow. So dad has degrees. My aunt has degrees. She's smart. Well, why can't you? So what are you going to do? Well, I'm not, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to accept these scholarships. And I just want to act you want to do what yeah i just want yeah. to be on stage you want to jump up and down and make nonsense i said but i'm really good at this i'm really good jump up and down and make nonsense. jump up and down and make nonsense you got to put a cd out called that jump up and down and so i made a deal with her i said look i'm not gonna go to who your grandma yeah, yeah. I, I said i'm not gonna go to a four-year university right now but i'll make make a deal with you i will accept this little scholarship that i got from a a a wonderful guy in school that passed away and they established a fund in his name, um, Anthony Solomon. Yeah. And I'll use the money to go to Valencia Community College there in Orlando. Yeah. Give me a semester. Yeah. If I don't have a job, if I'm not making real money. Doing entertaining. As a performer. Yeah. I will stop and I'll go wherever you want, I promise. And within, and within that first semester, I was working at Walt Disney World as a uh, character and a singer-dancer at night. So I was goofy during the day and Tigger in the parades and doing some, some of their shows as a singer. And I got a couple plays, and I was able to go on tour. Wait, so you started, like, so you, uh, in, do you have siblings? Yeah, one sister. Well, I have two half-sisters that I love, and, and my sister Kimberly lives in Texas with my mom. Oh, okay. But so no one grew up in the house with you? Just you and your grandmother? Kimberly and I grew up together a little bit, but yeah. for the most part, it was just the two of us. What's the first time that you realized, like, you've got the gift? That I was doing an industrial film. <laughs> in Florida? And, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't even know if anybody, you know, like, that's why I say that Orlando was great. I did every single weird-ass gig, yeah. but I was always in show business. And I, and I don't know if they still do industrial films, but I was doing one, uh, and I met this um, lady. Her her name is Claire Sarah. She's she's now turned into a very accomplished screen screenwriter. And I was doing an industrial film with her, and I, I thought she was cute, so I was being an 18-year-old asshole. I was like, hey, yeah. you're hot. And she was like, oh, that's a nice little boy. Yeah. I'm I'm a married woman, right. but 
I think you're funny. Yeah. I think you're funny. I'm funny. Yeah, you should come to an improv class that I'm teaching with my husband. Improv, what's that? He goes, um, it's spontaneous theater and you yeah. make things up. I said, oh, you mean the stuff that I've been doing in my room for the past 18 right. years because I don't have any friends because my grandmother <laughs> kept me isolated from the world? She did? Oh, my God. Dude, I never trick-or-treated in my life. Was it a religious thing? No. She just felt that the world was going to kill me. And But but how did that affect? I mean, you didn't have any friends? How was it? I had some friends, but I, I, I was the weird kid that, that was in his house. Like, let's put it this way. On Halloween, yeah. she didn't let me wear a costume, but she let me wear the mask of the thing from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. So I had a mask on, giving kids, giving kids candy. All the kids that I went to school with came to my house. Ding dong, candy. Yeah. It's like, I'm the thing. Yeah. Bitch, you ain't the thing. You're Wayne. <laughs> but I'm the thing. No. Uh, I so ridiculed and you know all of that good stuff. But her heart was in the right place. You're like she set you up to be bullied. I was bullied, but. I think that I come from the generation, and I think I'm I'm like 10 years younger than you. So I come from the generation where we were bullied, and this is not a defensive bully because yeah. I am anti-bully, yeah. but we were bullied in a way that everybody thought it was okay. It was weird. The teachers and everybody was like, ah, bullying, that'll make him stronger. Everybody gets bullied. Yeah, but, yeah, but they also knew that the kids who did it were a pain in the ass, but they were. I think their hands were tied. Maybe their hands were tied. I did not like it. And that's why today yeah. I don't take shit because I was bullied. And, yeah. and the thing that was always said was, boys will be boys. Yeah. What but were you bullied for? I was bullied for, I had an accent because oh, yeah. I was raised in the house with my grandmother and my grandfather. and everybody. So I had a Centomian accent, which was different than the other kids in the neighborhood. Did you had to intentionally get rid of that? I had to intentionally, once I realized that I talked differently and it was a thing, I went, oh, I need to not, but it was always the thing of either I'm, and, and it didn't help that my grandmother, when I was younger, she dressed me like a little black Lord Fauntleroy, <laughs> my outfits were always matching little, little Goranimals. You know, I was, I was looking good, yeah. but <laughs> not cool, but not, yeah, but not cool. Yeah. And so, so, uh, from that, from just being, being the kid that never got to go outside, if people wanted to come over and play that to play in my yard. Yeah. I wasn't able to ride a bike until I was 13. So I used to sneak out of the house to ride a bike. She very, very disciplined and sheltered and sheltered. And now I appreciate that to a degree because if it wasn't for her and nerd as I may be, she, she really made sure that I read and not just read, but that's where my appreciation for show business, because I watched a lot of PBS because that's what he had. So I grew up on, on all the old comics and all the old Broadway stuff from, Monty Python, um, old Sammy Davis Jr., oh, yeah. Ernie Kovacs. Yeah. Show, that, that I guarantee you that I am the only brother in comedy, in my knowledge, that was raised on watching Danny Kaye, yeah. watching all these old black and white sit- sitcoms, but still appreciated the cats like Red Fox. I would stay up and listen to his, yeah. his records. Yeah. And, and, uh, and When you were a kid? And Richard Pryor. Oh, yes. So no, she let you do that? All of that. She didn't let me do that. Yeah. That was uh, black market. Yeah. Um, I had to go and sneak that from... I had a bus driver yeah. who who gave me tapes. A school bus driver. A school bus driver. He's like, who, "You're funny. Listen to this." Who who got me hooked on old school comedy and hip hop? Huh. So she she was my drug dealer. Thank God for that. Yep. Yeah, she 
she gave me the good stuff. You need one of those people. You need somebody that sees something goes because she she saw that I was always getting the shit, you know, kick, kicked out of me. And so she told me, look, you you better learn to fight and you've got to stand up for yourself and learn to to push back. So we would, you know, play the dozens as we used to call it and talk about your mama, this and my yeah, mama, yeah. that. And I would jump in and they would talk about my mama and I talk and talk about their mama. And I learned that that was the thing to do, but the creativity that went into that. And then we started freestyling in the back of the bus and everybody wanted to do rhymes about folks, mamas and stuff. And yeah. that just came naturally to me. So all of that was this beautiful little confluence of events that I discovered comedy, I discovered hip hop. And so I discovered my funny, but I kept it to myself. Yeah. Except on the bus until that day when I met Claire and she invited me to an improv workshop and it changed my life. So, yeah, it, it sounds like you were ready to go. I was ready to go because I was ready to get the hell out. And, but but what did you learn in the improv class right away? Right away, I learned that I already had a lot of the tools. Yeah. Just from, you know, and some people come by it naturally. Yeah. I had the imagination because I only had myself to play with for many years and I read. So I would take all of the stuff that I could cram into my brain and, and I did all the characters and voices myself. So I had that. And could I, you do impressions? I, I started doing impressions just by virtue of listening to my friends speak or a teacher. Yeah. And because I was a singer, I could hear things and I could copy it. And then this is before you got the job at Disney? You start doing the thing? This is right after. Oh, okay. So so I got Disney and then I started How'd doing this. How did you get this. the Disney job? I auditioned for it. They, they, there's no real skill in being cast as a cart, as a costumed character at Disney. Sorry to break break dreams. Yeah. Uh, when I auditioned for it, they, they, they have you do a jazz square and then you either are the right fit the right height that if you're six foot tall or more, you can be goofy. Yeah. If you're five, five foot 10 ish, you can yeah. be Tigger. Oh really? That's and, it. And they just, and you just got to dance around. You just got to dance around. But even doing that, that helped with, with the improvisation because I would create these scenes with other people and say, Hey, look, I'll be Tigger. And if we're going to do it in fantasy land and I was working with, Peter Pan and Geppetto yeah. and somebody else. This was is like, at the park you were doing this with yeah. guys? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's like, here's a story. Yeah. Let's act out Star Wars. No yeah. one will know that we're doing Star Wars except us. But I'm going to be <laughs> Luke and yeah. you be Darth and somebody else and we're just going to act it out in the crowd using the audience members and nobody will know but it'll make make the day pass. <laughs> yeah. And so we would just do that and do, and, and do scenarios. Yeah. And so I didn't even know that I was doing improvisation yet. Sure. But well, I knew I was having just fun. Battling boredom. Battling boredom. And uh, that's a good book title. That's, <laughs> that, that's how we spent a lot of my years because I realized that what separated me from a lot of my buddies that, uh, buddies in air quotes, because they didn't like me, yeah. from a lot of the cats in the neighborhood that got into trouble and later on went on to crime or went on to jail is yeah. I'm not special. I just, A, had a grandmother who watched me like a hawk and B, I found a way in my neighborhood to battle the boredom that is all consuming that makes other people go, you know what? I'm bored. I think I'm going to rob that house. Yeah. Or angry. Or angry. Yeah. And my anger came out in different ways. I, I kind of sat on it until later in life, but thank goodness for being able to channel the anger into creativity. Right. And I kept that to myself. I kept it to myself until I was ready. I mean, your grandmother was overprotective, but there must have been some sort of like that, that voice you put inside your head 
when your parents are either negligent or gone is self-critical, mm-hmm. right? You know, because you got on some level, you start to believe it's your fault. And that you're not, you, you're not good enough because if you were, obviously your parents would have wanted to be in your life. Right. And it, yeah. And so, so you put in this, this voice in your head because you can't blame them because you're too young to think of them as anything but amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how I thought about my dad. Uh, so once I started acting yeah. in, in earnest and I started booking my first, I, I think I was like 19, I booked a role on uh, the old show in the heat of the night yeah. and I did a two-parter and I was hired by, by Carol O'Connor himself mm. who directed the episode. So that's just like, that was already ridiculously cool. And then I got a, ro- a, a recurring role on this a- NBC show called I'll Fly Away. So this was a few years after graduation. So And we shot that in Conyers, Georgia, which was close to where my dad had retired to. Uh-huh. So I hadn't spoken to my dad in a while. So while we were shooting, I was able to say, Dad, I want to come up to, yeah. to your house. And he said, oh, son, come on up. And he'd already seen a couple of the commercials. You know, I landed a couple national yeah. spots. So we saw my Burger King commercial and all this other stuff. And yeah. And he's like, son, I'm so proud of you. And we sat down and we actually had a beer yeah. and we were talking and he was telling his buddies about me. And that was one of the most amazing moments. So that's a very treasured memory that day that I had with him, because shortly after that, I moved. I got married and I saw him one more time. And then I moved to Las Vegas on my way to Los Angeles. And that's when he passed away. Uh. So we had the promise of getting ready to know each other as men. Right. And I never had that with him. And, uh, you know, that was always something I think that stuck with me and still still does to this day. Which well, is, thank God you had that beer. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. yeah that was After cool. all those years of worrying whether or not he'd be a, approve of you. Yeah. Right? That was one of the coolest things in the world. And that actually, that's one of the reasons, you know, that's one of the things that drives me. I... I love doing what I do because I know that I that I'm was absolutely right. I know that I was absolutely right in my decisions and it was validated by my dad seeing it before he passed. Yeah. My grandmother got to benefit from the life that I was able to give give her. My mother can benefit from that life now, so I knew I made the right choice. So to the people of Orlando, I'll never crap on Orlando because that that's my hometown. Do I agree with some of the small-mindedness of the South, which is why I don't live there? And I'm not saying that everyone is small-minded, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of policies in place that are discriminatory, yeah. so, so no. But it was a beautiful place for me to grow up. And when, so you're working at Disney, when, but how do you get how do you start? Did you hook up, hook up with a manager or something in Orlando? How were you getting cast in movies? Yeah, I had uh, an agent, uh, Susan Haley. I want to say Susan Haley. Hey, Haley Talent. Um, in Orlando. In Orlando, Florida. So I was getting sent, sent out for stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it was really after I started doing improv, the group that we formed, it was called SAC Theater was the company. And they were actually the street entertainment for Disney. And the contract had just ended. So, so these, these guys, they, they were so experienced and they grew up, you know, loving Im- improv. And I'd never known, known about it until them. They did all the street entertainment. They did Ren 
Ren fairs yeah. and all this stuff. And so they were the ones teaching me improv. So I joined as a, uh, um, I wasn't a company member yet. You know, I would. This was after the improv class. You joined this busker group? This was the class. Oh, this was they, the so So because the Disney contract ended, they needed to now go on and how were they going to do it? It was like they were going to teach classes and open up a theater. Oh, okay. And so I was in that first wave of people in that first class that yeah. I took. I was hooked. So I was broke because I was work, working at Disney. And yeah. So my job was I would trade class time for I would sweep yeah. and clean up. And, and so- It's like really being in the life of the theater. Right. Really being in it. But, yeah. But I learned- Everything that I learned about improv and the basics of comedy started there. Yeah. Rhythmically. Yeah. And then from doing improv, then I learned to write sketch. Were you were you taught these things or did you just do it by like being in it? I was both. Yeah. You, you get taught the basics. You know that anybody really who's taken an improv class can teach you the basics of improv. It's like yes and and, yeah. and don't talk over other people and yeah. do that jazz. Right. But then... It takes masterful teaching to go, okay, now we're going to put you up on your feet and you're going to do it. And yeah. guess what? You're going to suck. Yeah. Oh my God, are you going to suck? You're going to suck all the yeah. time. You're yeah. going to suck. Maybe you might be funny, Yeah. but but you're going to suck. And so I sucked a lot. Yeah. And we did this thing called theater sports, which was competitive improv. Sure. Yeah. So we did three shows a night five to six nights a week. Yeah. So that's, you know, when you're young. You, so they're selling tickets to that. Yeah. That, that was their tickets. business model. Yes. Yeah. And that's the stamina. Yeah. Just like doing stand, stand up, you yeah. move up from, oh, open mics to really get getting booked. Yeah. That, that was my thing. I, I, I six nights a week, just shows. Yeah. yeah three, yeah, three, yeah. three shows a night, just yeah, going, yeah, learning, yeah, learning, yeah, building. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So wait, how come, like, I, I just noticed this, but uh, when we were talking about being bullied, did you have a stutter? Or you did uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You really, did. really thick stutter. Really? Um, How'd you kick that? Improv? I think performing in general yeah. and, and a healthy dose of self-confidence because a lot of it, which is why when I speak about the stutter, I make a clear delineation that mine was not a medical right. stutter because right. I've worked with the American um, Stuttering Institute and I know that there's a difference. And, um, and so mine was definitely anxiety born. Yeah. And once you get that though, it's hard to shake it. And I actually worked with a speech therapist. I remember working with a speech therapist in like second or third grade. Oh, so you had it early on. Oh, because I was at, when I say that, when I write the sitcom of my life. Yeah. Is that a plan? This little kid, <laughs> this little son, I got skipped yeah. from kindergarten to second grade. I thought it was cool then for a second, yeah. but now in hindsight and when people are like, oh, my child's in the gifted program, sure. you know what? No. Yeah. Let this kid- Take the hits. <laughs> let the kid take the hits and mature as they were. Because just just because you 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 show early signs of reading and yeah. and, and creativity doesn't mean you, you should be propelled through school. Because I wasn't ready for it physically. Yeah. I damn sure wasn't ready for it mentally. Yeah. And so a lot of the stuff that I, I developed was because of that. Sure. And so, yeah, the stutter of I was even looked at wrong. And I couldn't, I would feel the back of my throat close up. I, I, it felt like my tongue got big. Yeah. And I knew the word I wanted to get out and I couldn't breathe. Oh I God. physically couldn't. And this is something that, you know, and I've spoken about, it still haunts me to this day. If I get very worked up, if I yeah. get super angry or if I get very emotional, 
it'll instantly get triggered. But the thing is, I learned tools to relax those muscles and to do those things. Wow. So, and it's all an anxiety response. Oh, absolutely. Fight or flight. And and on top of that, you had the accent. I had the accent yeah. and uh, nerd, and they thought that my parents had money. We didn't have any money, but because I was dressed like little Lord Fauntleroy, <laughs> and there was a thing of once you learn, you know, and then don't don't even get me started on the thing that internally in in the community, the whole well, you don't well, you're not black, yeah, because you don't talk like us, and now you go to that school, and because I was bused to so another this, school, this started when you were that young. Absolutely. This sort of accusation of, of, of being, you know, Tom-ish. Or being different. Because yeah. it's a thing. Yeah. And I completely recognize where it comes from. I think it is harmful to the black community and it is bullshit. Yeah. And, and as I got older, especially being in this business and bump, bumping heads with certain people, I learned to advocate for myself and just, like, dismiss it. Yeah. But... I get where it comes from, and it comes from a very bad place. It's lasting trauma. Mm. Um, well, well, explain that to me. Well, like, where does it come? And, and I'm no historian, and so if someone listening wants to correct me, fine, but this is my understanding. Yeah. So to put it simply, in the black community, right? Yeah. If someone is accepted, that that being a marginalized people, that that we've gone through so much trauma in this country from 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 the initial trauma of slavery yeah. to then being thrown free. Now you're free, but now you've got nothing. Yeah. And so you're dependent on this. And and then the way that you're looked at, the way that you walk, the way that you talk, black people had to find their own communities. They had yeah. to build their own worlds. Yeah. So when you are forced by necessity to become insular to a certain degree, yeah. Anyone who sticks out or maybe talks or looks or smells, acts, walks like, sure. talks like the the oppressor yeah. or that other person or yeah. those people, well, you're different than us. You can't be for us if you're like them. And that was also used as a divisionary tool. Yeah. So when we think that way, when we think when, and I'm saying we as black people, when we as black people look at other black people, well, you're light skinned, so you're not as black as I am, or you talk funny, so you're not as black as I am, or you don't, that, that would be feeding into the thing of we're a monolith and we all act one way and there's one big black book. This yeah. is the big black book of being black. Now read the book. There yeah. is no way. Yeah. I always believed that, and, and I've really begun to believe it lately. Black people or Asian people or Latin people or anyone else, in order for everybody to have parity, black people should be allowed to suck and be as mediocre <laughs> as the most mediocre white person, yeah. as the most mediocre Asian person. Because for a black person, and, and I'm only speaking my own truth, for a black person to really kick ass, whether in a corporate setting, even in the entertainment business, yeah. we have to almost do double and smile twice as hard and right. pull and do these things. And you're still looked at as, well, you can be thug number one or you can be the emasculated nerd. Yeah. But I don't really see you as the leading man. Right. Unless you got a big dick. Yeah. And can you sing? Yeah. So when the day comes that I can just be dope because it's something that I want to do and not something that I have to do to be seen. Yeah. Then I think then that is the e equalizer. Then we'll all be the exact same. You can suck and I can suck. 
<laughs> and be comfortable with it. And be comfortable with it. Yeah. Now, I don't want to suck. Yeah. But, it, but we should all be able to be at the same level. Right. Well, I mean, I've talked about this with with a couple other people, and I and I hosted a a, a radio show for a couple of years, and my co-host was a black dude, and just that sort of the idea of the community holding you back, in a sense, if you behave differently. If you behave dif differently, you're definitely. Now, I'm not going to say the community holds you back, well, or judges you. Ju the judgment, yes. and I definitely went through that. You know, once I from when you were a little kid. Yeah, but it slapped me in the face when I got Whose Line, which was by far, that was like the launch. For you. Like, yeah, you like did the, the little things here and there. Oh, the British version? The the British version was cool, but it was the a ABC version with Drew. Yeah. That's the thing that I blipped on the radar. Instead of, I was making guest appearances on sitcoms and yeah. doing a lot of theater and stuff, yeah, but yeah. that was the thing. Once America goes, oh, who's that dude? Right. And of course I stuck out. Yeah. And so once you are the only black member of this ensemble in this art form that for American audiences at least was relatively new. Yeah, right. And there's a focus on you, good good or bad. Yeah. And a lot of people were happy to see, you know, there were a lot of br brothers and sisters happy to see yeah. someone that looked like me in that mix. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of people that have come up after me and said, hey, you know what? I started doing improv because I saw someone that looked like me doing improv and that yeah. was great and and I love that. But then the flip side of that also was why are you the only one do doing that and you're a sellout because yeah. you aren't doing this show or you or those are the impressions that you do or you talk like this or you said or you're dancing for the man you're doing the whole thing. Yeah. And it hurt. I will completely admit it hurt at first because I'd be a liar to say you say otherwise. Yeah, how could you not? Yeah. You want your tribe, your yeah. your people to to respect what you're doing, especially me knowing that at that point, especially that was the era of Friends. So TV was very white. Yeah, you know, yeah. In, in in terms of the network stuff. So I knew where I was in that place, and I knew my visibility. So it hurt, and then to hear. Uh, to get it from other stand-ups and, yeah. and then to get it from other people in the business. To be a go, reference. To be a reference. And, yeah. and, and you know, fam famously, I was a reference when, when Mooney, God, yeah. God bless his soul, made, made that uh, joke on the Chappelle show. Right. And then Dave turned around and let me come on and do my thing, which was With an amazing sketch. sketch. That was so funny. And so it was great. But like, what was, like, for people that don't know, I mean, this is, so that's early on. That's when you're on Who's Line. That's before you even started doing broader work as a host and all that other stuff. Yeah, that that was, um, Who's Line, the American version, I think, was 98, 99. So I started doing things relatively fast. Like, you know, once the town goes, oh, we're, we're, we're going to give you work. Yeah. You start getting work. So yeah. I'd say like within the first few years, that's when that happened. Because I remember you were all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you host this, you yeah, host yeah. that, you do. and that wasn't even in my, in my wanting to do. Like that's why I say, like I said at the beginning, it would have been great to have a plan instead of listening. Um, Bernie Brillstein was my manager, and Ber Bernie was a legend. When Bernie, oh, so you you actually had him when he was alive. Yeah, he was your guy. Yeah, Bernie was my guy. So yeah. Ber Bernie had a plan. Bernie said, "Kid, you're Sammy Davis Jr." <laughs> I'm gonna fucking make you Sammy Davis Jr. You like Sammy Davis Jr. I said I love Sammy Davis Jr. I was then you're gonna be Sammy. I should have said, I should have said, 
<laughs> I love Sammy Davis Jr. But you yeah. know who I really love? Yeah. I love Sidney Poitier. Uh, I love Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah. I, I see a path for myself because even in spite of all that, comedy was never my destination. It was a piece of me. Yeah. But I always thought I'm going to end up on Broadway in all these roles that I want to do. And, and eventually I want to headline a TV drama. Film would be great, but I know what I want to do in that regard. But nothing that I did was moving towards that goal. I I was on a boat moving towards Variety Land. Well, but but Bernie, you know, being Bernie and being, Bernie being Bernie. and being show business, like he knew right away that he could get you working. Bingo. Right away. Working. Yeah. That's the thing. And that's what I think that if you are an up-and-comer and you're able to hit this town and people respond to you and you got some juice, have a plan. Have a plan quick because there is a difference between working and building a career. And the two can overlap. Sure. It, it, you got to be ready to work. And it, apparently you, uh, you were obviously ready to work. Always at the drop of a dime. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that like, but even for the breaks you were given, because sometimes, you know, people get breaks and they're not ready for it. And they kind of, they kind of self-destruct. Or and they, they go away. Or they go away. But, you know, the world that you were catapulted into um, you know, is a legitimate and and longstanding world of sh of show business. Absolutely, and you know, and it requires people to do the job. It also, oddly, because it was variety. You know, if whatever you think about your success, relatively speaking, in terms of what you might have wanted to do, you've gotten to do most of what you wanted to do. I, I've gotten to do a a lot of what I wanted to do, and things that I didn't know that I wanted to do, but. Like James Brown said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. I've been ready for those shots. And when the shots have right. come up, I went, oh, I, I can knock this out of the park. So when so when you're just working and you're trying – see, it's an interesting thing, too, about – because I talked to Donald Glover years ago. The, the whole world of black nerds yep. is, is its own thing, man. It now – I, no, but I, mean, I back was that early before the black nerd thing. Right, hit. right. But I'm saying I think he was too, or his dad was, where it was like, because I, as you know, an ignorant white guy, didn't even really, of course there's black nerds. And when I'm talking to Donald Gover, I'm like, oh my God, you you know, it's a whole different world. But it wasn't part of, of the black experience publicly. Exactly. And it was go, going back to that thing of as a character, right? Yeah. And so the things that I was either auditioned for or be offered. Yeah. You can either be Urkel, right. which there's nothing wrong with Urkel. Sure. That's why that's why when I look at an, an actor like Jaleel, who if you look at the comedic, like just look at it by itself, the sure. physical work yeah. in, that grand in that grand tradition of broad sitcom sure. that that guy as a kid did from the Pratt Falls to the voice, to the timing, to the slow yeah. burns. He was killing it. Yeah. That's a bona fide great character. Yeah. Just like Afonso Ribeiro in Fresh Prince. Yeah. The work that it took to actually make that character of Carlton stick, which much to their chagrin, you know, that they get stuck being looked at as right. like that because that is so different. That's not black. That's so weird. Right. It's so weird that that guy, but it shouldn't be. Yeah. And that's the failing. It yeah. shouldn't be. You should be free to which Donald broke that mold, I feel. And one of the- Glover? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and one of the, uh, I don't think I've ever talked about this on air. One of the things that I think that has hurt me just a little bit in my life, and I don't know where I saw this quote, and I know he didn't mean it to hurt me. Yeah. It's a thing. Because I get it. And I agree with him. 
Donald Glover, I believe, in either online or in an interview or something, yeah. said something to the effect of the the choices that he made. Because I, I'm a musician and I've done things and, it, and, and so we have in the ballpark of the same skill sure. skill yeah. skill set. You won a he, you won a Grammy, didn't, he, you? didn't you? Um I was nominated and I've been been on yeah. Broadway a bunch of but he has been very specific with what he was gonna do. He said basically I didn't want to become Wayne Brady. <laughs> oh, and 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 I get it because it's not really a slam on me. It's a slam on what I feel younger Wayne in terms of being the variety sure what the business machine it, 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 you, you were taking opportunities. Yes, taking no matter those what. opportunities and and versus if I would have had more sense and followed a different route, I would have pursued my music more when I had, when I first started, so that I would have had those relationships in place and I would have been looked at a certain way because you only get one chance in the beginning to become the thing. Yeah. Then later it's rebranding. Sure. <laughs> so, but like <laughs> when, when you yeah. first happen and you go, ta-da, what do you want to be seen like? Because that, that's you. Mm. That's you. And I didn't pay attention to that. So I get that. So I applaud Donald. I love him. I love his writing. I love how smart he is. I love how he he and Jordan Peele and Keegan and yeah. there's that's the you know and those are all people that I respect and those are the homies and I've worked worked with them and and, and I look at that and I go, "Oh, I love that they have taken the the blurred movement yeah. and made it a thing that is just as sexy and just as valid." Yeah. And so, in a way, I know I'm part of that because of whose line and and some other thing, yeah. thing, things I've done. Yeah. But I just wish I would have been a little more intentional. Right. Well, I mean, but I I think that what we were talking about earlier was that you know, when you have a certain amount of anxiety or sadness or something that resides in you, you know, and and given parental situation, when you're wanted, you'll go. Absolutely. <laughs> and 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 when you're working, you're not thinking about the darkness. Oh God, you hit it on the head. And and I mean I'll even go a little further and I'll say the thing I feel, the way you work, yeah, and the way you move, that reflects your life, right? Yeah. So if your life is in a shambles or disorganized, your work is going to reflect that. Mm. Maybe not all the time, but I but I speak for myself and from what I've observed of other people. Mm. It's like um, I I've been in therapy for years for for depression and and also you know for for what can for what can be called you know like love addiction. Oh yeah, uh, codependency. Oh yeah, fan fantasy addiction, and and I haven't really talked about that part of it. Which but, are those three? Uh, all, all of it in that be beautiful mix. Yeah, yeah. That drives your life and makes you make poor decisions. Sure. And 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 you are effectually an addict. Yeah. And because your chemistry and the way that you move is dictated by those things. Yeah. So the thing that I learned years ago in meetings. Yeah. Was the thing that you put before your recovery in that regard, you will lose. Mm -hmm. I.e., your relationships or your career. Because it begins in, to uh, Al-Anon. Uh, no, no, no. In in actually the codependent. Well, well, yes. In Al-Anon. In 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 Coda. In Coda. Yeah. In Essay. Yeah, yeah. In all all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I never got put your sobriety first. Yes. Right. And I'll be lying if I say that I do that because I don't. Yeah, you got to be. It's a vigilance. It's vigilance, and I try. And yeah. in fact, I'm working right now yeah. to make sure that I move through the world that way, because I get that that's why. If you want love so badly, then what better place to get love than on stage? Right. What better place to have people go? Oh my God, you're so good, and and you can make things up, or you wrote that your yeah. character was so great. Yeah, you yeah. don't suck. Yeah. You're not that stupid kid that everybody made fun of for two hours on stage. We find you attractive. <laughs> hey, Wayne, <laughs> sign my chest. Wait, Wayne, my husband wants you to sign. <laughs> All that, right? All that shit in one place. My husband wants you to what? <laughs> All that. I know, I know. Yeah. So, right. So, why wouldn't you run towards that? And I was not aware at that time that that's what I was dealing well, with. Sure, sure. So, so, so it's silly when I kick myself in the ass and go, oh, I sure should have, would have, could have. Because make no mistake, I've had a beautiful run and knock on wood, I'll, have a, I'll keep on running. I get a chance to do, make folks laugh and I give away things on let's make a deal. At, at, Is that fun? I've turned, it's become so much fun. Yeah. Oh man, it is, it is a blast. And I know that I'm doing great work, not just for Wayne to make Wayne the performer happy. Yeah. I'm making people happy. Sure. And I don't know if we as performers always think that way. We do what we do because it makes us happy. We love that feeling. And, and when the audience claps for us, oh, that's cool that you liked it, okay. but, but I'm good. Right. My, my, I approach it differently. When, they're, when they like me, I'm, I'm always sort of like, take it easy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that great. You know? <laughs> like, I, I wish I, like when I hear guys talk about how like they, you, you just go out there and get the love. As soon as I get the love on stage, I'm like, all right, let's back up a little bit. That's There's, weird, isn't it? I know. Because I do the same thing. You do. Because you want it, you want it. Yeah, and then you're like, hey. I, and then it's like, oh my God, I love you so much. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't stop. know me. Come on, man. You don't know that. Because we aren't yeah. deserving. Right. Because you make that thing up. I'm not deserving. So yeah, you yeah, end up yeah. screwing yourself. You feel you're Can't not deserving, win. but you run towards the, that thing. Yeah. And then you you back off. And it, it's just such a su such an odd men mental state. So I love doing something like Let's Make a Deal because it's not about me. Right. It stopped being about Wayne the performer yeah. and what I want to right. to get off on stage. Yeah. And I make these people laugh and then I make people at home happy and people share that show with their friends and family. Yeah. And yeah, you know. And it's an institution, it's dude. It's an institution. But there are so many stand-ups and other people that when I first started doing it, oh, that shit's whack. Uh, <laughs> you're doing a game show. Corny. You did, but And then yeah. all, all, all of a sudden, you can throw a rock and hit all all these game shows hosted by stand stand ups. Sure, and, and you can also throw a rocket hit a lot of stand ups that aren't doing anything. And you can throw three rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so now I I get a chance to do a great job, and it really affects people and changes lives. And I hear that, and I still get to do the stuff for me. Well, it's just interesting. So when you're early on, when you're becoming Sammy Davis Jr. Because Bernie told you you can be Sammy Davis. The Jr. unintentional Sammy. Yeah, the unintentional Sammy. That's the name of the one man show. Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I have to assume that when it first starts publicly, when you get you know contemporaries and and people in in the black community taking shots at you like that, given your mental state, I mean, how bad did it spiral? Immediately. Immediately. Yeah. I didn't have. 
I, I didn't realize that I suffered from depression and codependency yeah. and and love addiction from an early age. Yeah. Because I kept it moving. Yeah. I always kept it moving. And my ex-wife, who's my best friend and and my business partner, she will always say, you know, even when I met you and and I never gave I things bounced off of me because I was moving so fast. Yeah. So once your career starts and things are happening, sure. you know, you're going, you're going, you're going. Yeah. When you get attacked like that, it can bounce off for a second. But then the first minute you have of inactivity, it hits you. And that's when I go, oh, well, I'm going to make them really like me. I need to do something to really make them like me. I need to do this. And, it, and then you start making bad decisions or rash decisions, mm. impulsive decisions, not just work-wise, but just in life. You, it, yeah, and it's a chaotic vulnerability. It's so chaotic. And, and the best that I can describe to somebody is I just felt like I was for years and nobody knew this because what folks would say, what started to be a compliment, but I started to take to heart was like, he's always smiling on TV. He, he's, he's always grinning and laughing. He's grinning and I, I was like, yeah, because you know what? I was smiling because if I didn't smile, I would have probably spontaneously A, burst into tears and B, tried to fight somebody outside in an alley. Yeah. No joke. Yeah. I would, the, the level of anger that I was carrying around with me yeah. was, is, do, still, to the, the level of anger, people yeah. don't appreciate that fact because they see the thing. Hi, welcome, welcome to the show. It's Wayne. Look at me making you happy. Da, da, da. They don't get it. Yeah. And so I didn't get it until I really started to deal with it face on. Well, when, when the thing with Chappelle happened, how did it unfold that he, he, felt bad and and wanted to integrate you into the show uh i ran into donnell rawlings yeah uh at uh i believe at an naacp event or something and what a great guy man He's a good um guy. and he came up to me and, and i will never forget the conversation because i'd had a little it, like i wasn't drunk but i was just free enough that i could that some of the wayne that that wasn't on tv yeah came came out and he's like Wayne I love you Dave loves you I love you I'm like you don't love shit because I saw that joke on the show blah 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 he's like no no what are you talking about he called Dave Dave called me the next day yeah. I was I was shooting my talk show yeah and Dave called me and said Wayne I just heard uh, you know from Donnell and and that wasn't my my joke and we weren't trying to offend you man you know I respect you blah 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 do you want to come on the show and let's write a sketch together yeah so so Dave Neal and myself wrote wrote that training day parody <laughs> yeah. and I was just such a big fan of Dave like I rocked with Dave from Robin Hood Men in Tights sure and from the early Comedy Central stand up era yeah you know like when when you you were hosting a show yeah show show on Comedy Central back, back back in the day yeah from so I was a, a Dave fan from the get go yeah so I loved Dave yeah so when the opportunity to do that sketch I said yes and how fast yeah plus it, it was an opportunity for me to a prove prove my writing and my dramatic chops, and a way to just shut some people up. Yeah. To just say, shut up. And did it? Absolutely. <laughs> but but then, you know the way that life works. Sure. We can never be happy with the end result. Uh, so now, people are like, oh, shit, Wayne Brady, I love you because of that sketch. Yeah. And I wanted to be 
the African-American studies professor that would stop people on the street corner that would stop me and go, Wayne, I love that sketch. No, brother, you can't find that sketch funny because of the reason why it was funny in the first place, because you were likening one black man's success to another. Come on, Wayne, just shut up and take the compliment. (laughs) Shut up, Wayne. Shut up, Wayne. The inner fight. Wayne, shut up. These people just said they loved what you did. No, you shut up. These people are disparaging me and they're calling me. You come to shit. Oh God, it's exhausting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the other character. That's yeah. that other angry dude. Wayne. Angry Wayne is my roommate. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. You you can't get rid of him. No man, no, <laughs> no. The best I could do was just feed him some Krispy Kreme and have him shut up, and then oh, he overeats. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like <laughs> I'm still in charge. I'm still in charge. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did I? I used to have a joke where I said, it was a thing I wrote that it was uh, the monster I created to protect the kid inside me is hard to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, because he has to be tough. Yeah. He has to be tough. But the Broadway experience for you, I mean, that Ugh. seems like was it the best? Broadway's home. Br- being being on stage, stage is home. Yeah. That's that's absolutely where I because that's that any role that I've been able to do. That's really yeah. Wayne in his bedroom, yeah, playing pretend, which is why I never to, which is why when somebody hires Wayne Brady the host, Wayne Brady the guy, I'm like, oh, it's cool, but I'm I'm playing Wayne Brady the character to get through that stuff because I never thought that folks would know my name. All I ever wanted to do was be on stage, yeah. So I didn't care if you knew my name, yeah. Just give me a role, sure. That's that's the cool weird part of this business is just tell God what you want and have him laugh at you. Yeah. 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 It's uh God's got a hell of a sense of humor. And he has a plan. So yeah. I now I've just said, you know, I surrender. That's cool. Yeah. So is that how like is that how you manage well, I mean, you, you were able to do Broadway and then you did you were in Hamilton as well, right? And yeah. The, I must have been great. I, I do my best to do as much as I can and uh shout out to, you know, Fremantle, the production company, because not everyone gets gets the freedom to I've I've managed to avoid being landlocked. Yeah. So I tape. Let's make a deal. About three to four months out of the year. Yeah. We tape three shows a day. Yeah. I, I love my company. We kill it. The show's yeah. great. And then I go off and I do Broadway or yeah. I do a series. Yeah. This last uh, this last season, I was on American Gigolo with John oh. John Bern Bernthal show. John's a beast. Yeah. John and uh, Rosie O'Donnell, Gretchen Mall. It was great oh, on yeah. Showtime. Yeah. Yeah. So so. Every season I get to do one of those. That's great. Yeah, so I get to do that and a little Broadway stuff, and then I'm happy. So how do you manage the the demons? I mean, what do you are you a meeting guy or I need to be more of a meeting guy. Mm. I, I I go in spurts. Yeah. And uh even today I sat there's a there was a there's a 7:30 meeting that that I knew I was like, Wayne, the Zoom. You you really need to go to a meeting. Yeah. No in person I was gonna go go oh, in person. Go, I said oh, yeah. go 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 to a meeting. And instead I did did a did a did a session with my therapist. Oh, that's um good. but going to the meetings, that's a must. And I need to become better about that. And what how'd your depression ultimately, you know, manif- manifest itself? How did you like you hit a wall? Um my bottom was when 
I realized that I had, that I was going to work and, you know, doing the do, ma- making folks happy and then isolating myself. Mm. Um, you know, when you make your world small, Yeah, I went even physically, like the physical manifestation of this to me was I moved out of this place that I had in Sherman Oaks, yeah. this huge place. And I said, I'm going to downsize. I'm going to move this other house. And then I, I moved like three times in one year. Yeah. Not for any reason, except no, I don't like this place. I don't like this place until I, I was in a condo a two or three bedroom condo and I never used the other two bedrooms. I was in my room. Yeah. So I'd come home from work and be in my room. Huh. So I'd managed to bring my, my physical space down to make myself smaller. Yeah. And I wasn't talking to my ex. I talked to my daughter by virtue of when she was with me every few days because I had to. Yeah. And even then I think that she knew that something was up with, with dad. Yeah. And I was getting the dark thoughts and always suicidal thoughts. I don't know if I'd go as terms of suicidal. Yeah. I think I could have reached that place. Yeah. And what stopped me was a, I love my daughter. So even if the specter loomed on the outside, I said, no, because I'm never going to do anything to leave, leave my daughter. Dark thoughts, just like nothing matters. Nothing matters. So I don't matter. Mm. So it's the cousin to that. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And then Robin passed. Yeah. Robin passing changed my life. And I say that, and I've talked to his family and, and, uh, I'm, I've done work with this uh, group called, uh, that Glenn Close has called, uh, bring change to mind, Mm. uh, dealing with mental illness. And, um, I didn't know how far the other way I was Yeah. until you look at Robin Williams. Yeah. And I blessed enough that I got a chance to work with Robin and, and did you improvise with him? Dude, talk about a bucket list. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about a bucket list. He loved doing that. Oh, he loved it. And when I see Robin Williams, who from my childhood was a beacon. Yeah. And I mean that in every way, shape, yeah. and form of what the human mind can do and that speed of thought. And then as an actor to be able to do the depth and breadth and to be able to do Shakespeare and to be able to make a fart joke. And yeah. it's like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. That's what I want to do. When that person says, who the world loves, says, I can't do this anymore, because he also is suffering with his physical illness. When he says, I can't do this anymore, and I'm not telling anybody, and I am leaving. When I see that person leave in that manner, I go, well, if Robin can come to that place, I I don't stand a chance. Mm. If Robin can do it, I don't stand a chance. So what can I do? And that's when on my 40th birthday, I asked for help. Yeah. And, and that was the day that I dropped my daughter off at school. So I felt incredibly lonely. She, she, she was leaving for like a three day field school field trip. Yeah. It was my birthday. Nobody was in my house. Yeah. I walled myself up. I felt like to me, I felt like a failure because I hadn't done some of the things that I'd wanted to do by that point. And I was like, you are just shit. And this is what you deserve. Right. And it got really dark. And then I saw the news about Robin. Oh, and, horrible and, day. And, and I had dinner with my ex-wife and a couple of friends that night. And she'd been telling me, Wayne, you need help. And I said, please take me to someone because I need something. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I did it. Well, it's, it's kind of amazing that 
just that the mathematics of that of like if that guy how how am i not going to right if that guy made that choice i have no protection against myself no huh because when i look at robin and you shouldn't put people on you know pedestals or right, whatever right, but sure. when i look at robin because like i said i loved him from when i was a child mm. when i look at what I think of as one of the best of us yeah. in your chosen field. It's like this guy is a paragon of what the thing is. Yeah, yeah. And it always bothered me when people, you know, like comics dismissed him. It's like, he's done everything that you ever want. Like, I, and I imagine on some level, you can identify with that too, because it wasn't a racial thing. Right. But like, you know, I heard he was a hack. It's like, who gives a fuck? Because that guy he, did everything he he's, He's done it. Everything. All of it. Every single bit. Have you done it? <laughs> have you done it? That's but a, you don't even have the talent oh. to, to even begin to. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. So so the math of that re really Robin did did change yeah. change my life and how I perceived mental illness because I, I didn't believe it. Yeah. I didn't believe really? it. I, I very much was of the mindset. And I think that it is a thing in the black community that you're taught you know, when you're younger, therapy isn't for us. Mm. That's for white people. Mm. We don't have the luxury of of being of uh, of 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 depressed. Yeah, what's that? Especially my generation is like, what's that? Yeah, you know that that's just crazy. Crazy Uncle Jimmy. You know, back from Nam. He, yeah. he he's so crazy. No, that man is suffering PTSD. Yeah, and now in delving into my own family history, you know, I realize. My father was dealing with a lot of his own issues. Yeah. And so I've really tried to delve into that. My father was dealing with a lot of issues before he passed. Mm. And so when I see that, I realize that I bought into that, that, you know, that I'm not crazy. Sure. Why should I go pay somebody to talk to me? I'm not crazy. That's what, crazy. And what about your mom's uh, uh, mental state? She, my mom went to... Uh, a few years ago, she went back to school and she became a relationship therapist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. So she absolutely believes in therapy. And, um, and, uh, but was there a depression in the family? That we've never really talked about on her side. Mm. I sincerely believe it is on my side because mm. I know. On I your dad's know. side? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So you went and got the help and, and now you just, you know, you go day to day. I go day to day and some Take days are awesome Yeah, and I need, and I wish I took better care of myself. And that's just me even out loud, you know, the accountability thing of, I know that I do not like, I, I know that I need to be at meetings. I know that I need to, to follow more of my steps. The difference is I do do them. I don't do it perfectly, sure, but I know enough now that I am at a different place than I was 10 years ago, than I was six years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've been sober 23 years, you know? So, mm. like, you know, once you plow that shit into your head, it's in your head. You know, the steps and taking, like, in just the sort of, like, like uh, I was with a woman, you know, who got me sober and, you know, didn't end well. But, like, I, you know, I make my bed every day. You know, I, I, I tell I, people the same thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you do nothing... <laughs> Make your bed. <laughs> Get up and make your bed. And wash the dishes. Yeah, that, that's what I, I, I've tried to teach my daughter. We yeah. have different ideologies on, on cleanliness. But I tried to tell her, I said, Miley, there, there are days, even this morning, even this morning, 
knowing that I was going to come out to do the podcast, I was happy. Yeah. And I had another meeting that I was going 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 to go to with a producer friend yeah. that I had had to reschedule. My whole thing is, as soon as I get, uh, then I reschedule everything. I'm like, oh, can can I just do it later? Can can I just? I get dread. Like I get like, dread. A yes. Panic. Yeah. Yes. I, and it's it, and I have to really manage that shit. Because like if, even if it's just regular things to do the day, like I got it. Like if I have to, like do it, just go to meet someone for lunch tomorrow. I'm like, oh god. So I'm gonna do that. Like it fucks my head up. And it's nothing. It's nothing. It's just a day. It's nothing. Wait, that, what are you even feeling dread about? Like, it, would you rather have nothing to do? That's it. Yeah. But but that's the it's enemy. Anxiety, you know, anxiety, anxiety. The anxiety is the enemy. And the beautiful thing is, you know, we have our art to not only make people happy, but now I've started to make myself happy again yeah. when I perform. Yeah. And that is light. That's a bit of light that I get to shine on myself. And I love that. And what are you don't but you don't do stand-up much, right? I it's a mixture. I, I do improvisation. I bring my buddy Jonathan on the yeah. road with, with me and and we do improv scenes and I do improvisational music. Oh good. But but I do stand up in the sense of there there there's a loose loose thing that I'll talk about if I get get into a town or things yeah, yeah, sure. in in the news yeah. and and they come out funnier than not. And yeah. the things that really work, I go, oh, okay. Well, I'll just keep Make, keep that for later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but so it's a hybrid sure, act. Sure. And is it fun to be with the guys again? Oh man, getting getting a chance to close out who's line like this because we haven't been in the same room doing it f since before the pandemic. Is everybody there? Um, yeah, Ryan is there. Colin, yeah. um, Aisha Tyler is our host. Yeah. I love Aisha. Yeah. Um, that show changed my life. Yeah. And once again, if you would have told me when I started that it'll be an improv show that I, that I'll be on stage, that that I would have the audacity to think that I could just think of something on the fly and that would be the thing that would give me success who do you think you are wayne yeah really yeah and i love the show and i love the guys and i think that it's amazing that we get to have this you know it's a nice little grand send send off because this Full thing circle. has been on forever yeah 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 so this is great and uh, i'm going to share something and i don't know no one has told me not to yeah so one of the things that we have a lot of special guests this season but even my daughter yeah. My my daughter has gotten a chance to come on the show and and I'm not going to say what she did so yeah. you don't know if she got to participate or not yeah. but getting to share this thing with my daughter that I started performing in earnest when I was her age. Yeah. So she can look at me in this and and she sees dad yeah. doing this thing. Yeah. It just makes me so happy. That's great. It, it's yeah, man. It's oh, it's, it's great. It's yeah. great. And everybody's still sharp, you know, and as the youngest guy, um, <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, but like they, they're, they're still kick, kick, kicking ass. Oh, that's great. Friggin' Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery are two of the goats. Yeah. They are two of the best to ever have done it. It just must be like electric to get in it again. Oh, it's yeah, great. Yeah. Well, it's great talking to you, buddy. Man, thank you for having me. This has been something that I've wanted to do for so long, and I'm such a fan of yours, brother. Oh, I appreciate that. And I, I have you. Well, thank you, sir. It's good talking to you. Thanks, brother. That was Wayne. Heavy stuff, light stuff. We did the, we ran the gamut. Let's Make a Deal airs weekdays on CBS. Whose Line Is It Anyway? Comes back on The CW on March 31st. 
please hang out, folks. Please, please just, just sit tight. For full Marin subscribers, the Wrestling with Mark miniseries wraps up this week, which includes me coming face-to-face with the AEW champion, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Do you find any uh, G- actual anti-Semitism coming at you? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had death threats. I've had Nazi emblems keyed into my car. Really? When I was on the Indies, you would hear kike a lot more often than you than I've heard it here, but I think that's only because the arenas are so loud. If there is someone screaming kike, I just can't hear it. Right. There's so many people booing me because yeah. they have bad taste, Mark. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of interesting, right? Did you ever find it menacing or you still thought it was all part of the gimmick? Quite frankly, so I think the in the underbelly of society, and I think you would agree with this. Anti-Semitism has always been rampant. Of course. That's why we're kind of always like, oh shit, you got the cough? Gotta be the Jews. You know what I mean? Like Jewish people is always the the scapegoat. So I think this Kanye thing kind of unearthed it all over again. Yeah. And I found that really interesting to see how many people were in the replies like, you know, he's not wrong. Yeah. And you're just reading it and at first, you're just baffled by the stupidity. Right. But then you have to remind yourself, no, anti-Semitism is rampant, but it's not as fun to talk about as, say, um, other ethnicities going through it, yeah. for whatever reason. Well, that's because most people don't know Jews. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, other ethnicities are more represented in culture. I'd say you know, so. got to go find a Jew. Yeah. We're hiding. <laughs> yeah. We're hiding writing. Always. We're writing hiding. for the, the anti-Semites <laughs> yeah. is what we're doing. But I mean, I, like in comedy, though, I, I go out of my way now to like to really kind of uh, make a big deal out of the Jew thing. Just I love to it. Annoy whatever people might be anti-Semitic. Yeah. I like to get people to just get to a point where they're like, we get it, Jew. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I think I think we're going to get along great. Sure. That's what I love to do. <laughs> On Thursday, we're airing a condensed version of the whole series here in the free feed. But you can get all five parts of the miniseries by signing up for the full Marin. Just go to the link in the episode description or click on WTF Plus at WTFPod.com. Don't forget my HBO special from Bleak to Dark premieres this Saturday, February 11th at 10 p.m. And on demand on HBO Max. I'm going to go make a pot of brown rice. That's where I'm at. Here's some guitar.
Honda getting into those everywhere. 